role models when you were younger who was your role models for you know this entrepreneurial life that you knew one day you wanted to pursue you know what my role models again because i didn't have them directly in front of me and i did an interview one time somebody was like lamar you, you must have grew up in a family of entrepreneurs i said not at all i ain't know uh -huh. nobody that was an entrepreneur. Uh -huh. so my role models were inside of magazines and publications okay so i remember like thinking my teenagers i picked up a, a magazine called black enterprise magazine and I saw people inside of it that it grew IT companies and hotels and, you know, car dealerships. Now, a lot of stuff back then was a lot more traditional. You know, I may look 25, but I'm a little older than that, John. No, you know? Yeah, but just a little bit. <laughs> Welcome to the Smartest Podcast, a show that is dedicated to helping you achieve success. I'm your host, John Colderize Lawson entrepreneur and best-selling author. In this episode, you will hear from one of the most successful people in the world. So get ready to improve yourself by learning from those who have already found success. Yo, people, what's up? It's your boy, John. I've got another one of these people that will help you become one of the smartest people on the planet. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Mr. Tyler. Yep, Lamar Tyler, creator and founder of Traffic, Sales, and Profit. Uh, we uh, focus on helping African-American entrepreneurs scale to six, seven, eight figures in business. Awesome, awesome. Let me, let me, let's, let's, let's go, let's go back to the beginning, man. Yep. Where, where were you born and raised? Um, I was born and raised in the D.C. area. Uh, <laughs> Prince George's <laughs> County, Maryland, um, until I moved to the Atlanta area, right? Which is very similar, a lot of similarities between the two. Um, but, you know, grew up most of my life in the DC area, which is amazing, great place to live. Um, cause you see so many different types of people, so many, so many different, uh, uh, type of, um, uh, socioeconomic, you know, um, classes, mm -hmm. right? So no matter, you know, who you are, what you do, you can see other people and how they live and, in, in, um, you know, you can and tap into wanting that for your own life. Yeah, I definitely feel you there, especially with the similarities to Atlanta. You know, yeah. so what brought you to Atlanta in the in, in the initial? Oh, you know, that's that's a great follow up because there are a lot of similarities, but um, when I think about it, it's a lot of successful people in both. But the thing that is different, right? You say, okay, two cities where people get money, but how they get money is different. And in the D.C. area. Uh, a lot of people got money working through federal government, federal government contractors, employment, professional services, et cetera. In um, Atlanta, right, what I noticed was that there were a lot of people got money, but they got money through entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And me, myself, always wanted to be an entrepreneur, growing as an entrepreneur, and then building a early stage business. When it was time um, to take that business and I was moving into it full time and left my nine to five. And, you know, I said, okay, you know, I've always wanted to move to the South, wanted to settle somewhere else. I said, Atlanta is the place because everybody, John, that was doing what I wanted to do, guess where they lived at? Atlanta. Atlanta. <laughs> and I said, hey, if everybody that's doing what I want to do is in Atlanta, guess what? I need to be in Atlanta too. Huh. And when I got here, I realized it was a combination of a few things in my perspective that made it different. Like I said, even from the outside, the cities look the same, the people look the same, but the cost of living made a huge difference. And I didn't realize that until I came because oh, yeah? essentially, 
<laughs> when we, I mean, I knew the cost of living was, was smaller, but I didn't realize right. how much difference that made in, in the push towards entrepreneurship. Because mm. when I came, our mortgage dropped $1,000 a month for the exact same, you know, pretty much same square footage of a house. And it's a lot easier to be an entrepreneur when you're, you know, your cost to just, you know, put a shelter over your head is $1,000 less every single month. Right. So when we got here and, and we noticed the cost of living was lower, what we saw that we didn't see in the D.C. area was a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of stay-at-home parents. Because in D.C. area, everyone that we knew, you had to work two good-paying jobs, not even two jobs, but both of you had to have two good-paying jobs just for you not to live in the hood. So mm. just by having a lower cost of living, and then I think by Atlanta being such a central hub, it attracts all the top talent and draws all the top talent from all these neighboring states in the South right around it. It just put it in a great position. Um, it put me in a great position, like I said, when I came here to build new connections, to build new relationships, get around other like-minded people. So did you did you go on the, well, let me ask you this question because I like asking entrepreneurs this question. <laughs> Are entrepreneurs born or made? Ooh, um, this is good. This is, I never thought, now I was born an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. I, I knew from a very early age, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It took me just a long time to figure out how to actually make it happen and do it because I didn't, I didn't grow up in a family of entrepreneurs. I didn't have it modeled in front of me. So I had to just kind of figure everything out on my own. And I didn't know what I know now, right? About coaching and conferences and stuff like that. So I tried to figure it all out. Um, I think both, I'm, I'm gonna lean towards both, but I'm, I'm gonna say it like this. I think you inherently have some traits inside of you. So my wife now is an entrepreneur, but she's not born an entrepreneur. And right. most of her traits do not necessarily lean towards entrepreneurship. But if you tell her like, hey, you know, every, every now and then when she wilding out on me about, you know, the business, I tell her, hey, babe, you know, I fully support you. I'm going back to get a job. <laughs> Think about that job life. Let me tell you that. <laughs> quickly be like, well, I ain't say all of that. I'm just, I'm just having a moment. Let me get through, you know, I'm just, I'm just having a bad time today, right? Let me get through it. So I think I've groomed it, it made her into an entrepreneur. Uh -huh. I think I was born an entrepreneur. She's been made an entrepreneur. But I think primarily we have some traits that lean towards, you know, one way or the other. And I think what's important is that we let people know either way is okay. I think a lot of times now, you know, entrepreneurship has become so cool and faddish that we demonize people if they're not. Or we if make them not, stupid, right. like you're wasting right. your time, wasting your intellect if you work for someone else. But, you know, I mean, you know, the whole thing about entrepreneurship is at some point you need people to work for you and beside you to build a bigger mission and a bigger vision where you want to get to. And if everybody's an entrepreneur, who exactly would do that? So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it's a lot of stuff in there, but I, I think, you know, I'm gonna lean towards both, but I think you do inherently have some traits that, that help you with one way or the other. So if, so role models, when you were younger, who was your role models for, you know, this entrepreneurial life that you knew one day you wanted to pursue? You know what? My role models, again, because I didn't have them directly in front of me. And I did an interview one time. Somebody was like, Lamar, you, you must have grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. I said, not at all. I ain't know uh -huh. nobody that was an entrepreneur. Uh -huh. So my role models were inside of magazines and publications. Okay. So I remember like thinking of my teenagers, I picked up a, a magazine called Black Enterprise Magazine. And I saw people inside of it that it grew IT companies and hotels and you know car dealerships now a lot of stuff back there was a lot more traditional you know i may look 25 but i'm a little older than that john you know? yeah but just a little bit <laughs> but um you know like going through the pages like these you know business icons became you know my idols like earl graves senior right that created right. black enterprise magazine like like he was my jordan 
<laughs> you know, so, wow. you know, as I grew and I saw him like with the successful magazine, then he owned a Pepsi bottling plant. Um, you know, I heard about uh, Reginald F. Lewis, right? Um, uh, with Beatrice Foods and, and doing a billion dollar, you know, acquisition deal, right? On a billion dollar company. Like things like this is what I wanted to learn more about and what I dreamed of. And even though I couldn't like exactly see how to get there, I knew it existed. So those are the people, you know, I was interested in following and, and going down the path, you know, behind. Wow, that's pretty awesome. I mean, just to think about it. Here I was just watching television, you know. <laughs> but, you know, wasn't even that many stations back then. What were you doing with your time, John? <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing. <laughs> Testing different stuff, you know, because I definitely think I was, you know, I tell stories all the time about people used to call me cheap because I used to charge for everything. You know, hey, you want to ride in my car? I need $2 for gas, bro. <laughs> you know, but it was it, it was definitely an entrepreneurial spirit. But there were Dude, you, you were the original I, Uber. Yeah, I definitely was. You know, I could have been a billion, <laughs> billion, billionaire if I'd have just made that into a thing. <laughs> but there was something about, um, and this is going to probably resonate with you, something about George Jefferson. And I didn't even know what it totally was. But I was mm. like, man, this guy, he got the money, he got the swag, <laughs> and he got all of his own businesses. I always thought that was a, you know, and it, that was probably the closest thing to a television role model, other than those people that you just, you know, yeah. named off. Absolutely, man. I like you just did a uh, thing about the old uh, Black-owned businesses and yeah. naming some. It's kind of interesting when we go back through, you know, our history. I mean, I, I don't know. For some reason, we feel as though this is a new discovery for us. But I mean, back in the old school, you know, segregation, everybody was a business owner. Correct. At some level, right? And, and, and that's big. I mean, that's something that I'm always teaching, training our entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship isn't something that's new in the African-American community. We've been entrepreneurs, you know, by, by need and necessity, if nothing else, for generations and generations. I mean, there were huge, I mean, when Atlanta, if you go down to Auburn Avenue, you know, like there's still a lot of buildings for, you know, the Atlanta, um, uh, uh, you know, life insurance companies right down on, right. on that block. And there were, you know, I mean, millionaires made through life insurance. There were huge companies and climbers around food, around beauty, around so many different industries. And, you know, we, we just had an event where uh, Matthew Knowles came in, uh, Beyonce and Solange's dad. And the first time I talked to him on the phone, what I loved, is I didn't know his backstory where he talked about the fact that, hey, he's third generation entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And he talked about his grandparents being entrepreneur and his parents being entrepreneur. Now, you know, he said, I got, you know, of course, one daughter that's a, uh, a billionaire, right? And I got another daughter that's worth hundreds of millions. But like you said, like, like it's not something that's new. It's just us tapping into it. And, and it's like I said, all the celebrity around it now, but making sure we harness that power and that, in that uh, attention that we now have it towards the right channels. Yeah. So what's, what, what's driving you? Or what drove you to doing something very specific and uniquely black? Um, you know what it was is is we kind of stumbled into it, believe it or not. And originally, what it was is, you know, we had another brand before this around marriage and family, uh, and it started as a blog back in December two thousand and seven. And my wife and I said, "Hey, let's create a blog, something we're passionate about, something that um, people want to read about and talk about." Because we said we can we can create content, but we don't want to create content if ain't nobody you know consuming it. So we said a blog and said, what do people want to like to talk about relationships? And we just kind of kept niching down. And what we got to was 
a site around, um, you know, black marriage and relationships, how it was viewed from outside the community, from inside the community, because we knew there was a gap there and there was a lack of representation for positive examples of marriage in the black community. So we did that. That thing took off. Um, you know, at one point we were doing a million unique readers every quarter. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, 40 plus freelance writers, an editor and more. And when we transitioned to the brand we have now, Traffic Sales and Profit, we really didn't specifically create it for the African-American community initially. What we did is we just, you know, I, you know, marketing is marketing, right? So I just said, hey, you know, I'm doing a marketing brand, all the stuff I learned, you know, in the first brand, because people kept asking me to teach them. And then as I launched it, um, that same community we were talking to, the first brand is the ones who kept showing up. So as they kept showing up, what a lot of people do is they look at the people that come to them and then they try to run and say, well, this ain't the avatar. And they try to like create something new. What I did say is I said, hey, you know what? These are the people that are supporting me. So instead of ignoring these people, what I'm gonna do is double down and provide resources and tools that they need even harder. So I'll never Mm. forget like the very, um, you know, it was our our second year of doing our conference, TSB Live. And at that conference, I said, hey, you know what? We're catering this brand specifically you know, be for African-American entrepreneurs and helping you kind of reach your goals, blah, blah, blah. In the room, just bust out in applause. And I said, you know what? We're heading in the right direction. And then every year, you know, then we came up with a manifesto. Then we came up with our three pillars of the community. Then we came up with like every year we come up with something more to go deeper and deeper into it. But I think the lesson I got from that, John, is that so many times entrepreneurs are looking for the finish line before they even start. And they're like, hey, you know what? Like I'm, 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 I'm at the, you know, I'm on the racetrack, right? I'm down in my stance, but even that gun go off, I ain't moving until I see where to finish. Like, I don't know if this is, you know, it is a 50 yard dash, this is the hundred meters, this is the 200, 400. I don't know, but I'm not, I'm not moving these blocks until you tell hmm. me what it is. But oftentimes like, we don't know what it is, right? We got to like, just get going. And that's what happened with this brand we have now, as we started moving, the path start to reveal itself. Hmm. And we got more clarity around who we really should be serving around how we should serve them, around what's the best products and services, you know, around the things that, you know, we could do like everybody else and the things that, hey, our community, you know, that doesn't resonate with them. So, you know, one of the pieces that we had to um, make that was, you know, specifically and strategically created to get them results. And as we just kind of go, you know, you know, 10, 20 yards down the track and we look and we say, okay, this is what the next steps are. We keep going and we keep moving. That sounds like, it sounds like a journey. Yes, definitely. Right. As opposed to this quick sprint, you know, you don't necessarily do you do you know the finish line now? I don't. You know, that's a great question. Um, because somebody asked me recently, they was like, you know, what's the end game? What does it look like? And I was like, I don't know, right? We had like a we had a three-year mission, and this is year three, right? So we pretty much hit the mission. Is you know, we've extended the mission to like a 10-year mission, so it's the end of the decade. Like I'm telling somebody, like, I really don't know what happens after that. I don't know. Like, all I know is I'm charging as hard as possible to get and reach those goals. But after that, right now, I'm not totally sure of what it looks like. But I know in the next few years, again, right, as things continue to unfold, you know, I'll get clarity when the time comes. Cool, man. So what what would you say was maybe the tipping point with TSP? What Or, or do you feel like we've hit that tipping point? You know, I mean, yeah, feel me. Yeah, in. you know what? It's good. I don't feel like um, if it's one tipping point, I'm not sure if we've hit it yet. I feel like there are tipping points, right? right. And it's kind of like a combination of um, things or moments where they let you know that you're going on the right path um, or things get bigger than they've been, right? Or things move faster than they've been. Um, and for us, most of it, like we're very, you know, 
uh, events specific. So, you know, I remember we did a 2019 event where we had Janice Bryan Hyroyd, uh, the first black woman to build a billion dollar business. That was probably like the biggest speaker we had at that time. Um, it was like the biggest venue we had at that time. We were at a hotel uh, in Buckhead, which is the uh, ritzy uh, yet dangerous part of Atlanta. <laughs> but people, if people right. don't know, right? If you don't know, <laughs> right? You don't know. Just, just ask somebody, right? It's, it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack there. Um, but it was like a new, you know, big hotel where we knew our attendees would be like, "Wow, we're in Buckhead at this big hotel." And it was a, you know, like the biggest speaker we ever had. And you know, we had branding around the hotel for the first time. So just it was like the size and the status and the level of the event felt like that was a tipping point. Uh, but again, like we felt that way again this past June, right? Again, we moved to a, a bigger hotel. We had more branding and we had Magic Johnson, who's the now the biggest name we ever had. And that felt like a tipping point. So, so I don't know if it's ever been one thing that made it easy after that. But it, like I said, it's been like these, these thresholds that we hit where we feel like we hit a new level. Um, and we've gotten to those. Like hopefully it will be one point. We're like, hey, everything just changes after that. And that's my, that is my running joke with my wife, Ronnie. Um, and we learned that with the first brand so many times when we thought everything would change, right? Our first appearance on CNN, I was like, CNN, this is everybody. Like everything changes after this, nothing changed. Mm -hmm. Then we did like, uh, this, we part a spot on Today Show. And I was like, Today, you know how many millions of Americans watch Today Show? Everything changes. John, like, I think we sold like three or four extra <laughs> packs <laughs> of bundles that day, right? Like literally nothing changed, right? Right. Um, so we've kind of tempered a lot of that, but we just know that, hey, you know, we just hit certain thresholds. And as we hit those thresholds, the goal is to never move back, always move forward. All right. So, man, your, your, your specialty is African-American business, right? Um, uh, is that racist? No, that's a great <laughs> question, right? Because I get that a lot of time. It's, I know, know, I know, I know. With our, with our original brand... Um, and I, I, I refer to that one because it's even it's, it feels even more racist to people that think that way. Because our original brand was called Black and Married with Kids. This is traffic sales a problem. It's Black and Married with Kids. So the question I would get all the time is, is what if I made a site called White and Married with Kids, right? Mm -hmm. And first I'd say, well, I, I don't care. <laughs> I would read this, I don't care. But then the other thing I would, um, to the people that really, that really had the question and just weren't being snarky, what I would have to explain is that basically every other marriage site was white and married with kids because it had no representation of anybody other than the majority population, right? Which just happen, happens to be, you know, white. Right. Um, so there were no Latino voices. There were no black voices. A lot of times no Asian voices. Like there are no other voices or perspectives. And then when people would say, well, you know, well, isn't, isn't all the information the same? Isn't all marriage information, all marketing information, all whatever information the same? What I say is, is uh, kind of, sort of, but no because 85% of it is the same, but that last 10 to 15% is the cultural piece. Mm -hmm. And most of the time when people look at things in the lens of, okay, why are you speaking directly to black people? What they don't realize that black is not just the color. When we reference black, we're talking about the culture. Right. And the culture of black is the similarity between if I have someone Italian that was born in Brooklyn, somebody Italian is born in San Francisco, there are probably some similarities in the way they worship in their family's worship, in their religion. There are probably some similarities in the fact of what grandma cooked for dinner on Sundays. Some similarities in, you know, the things that their parents said uh, when they fussed at them as young kids, right? Or the things that they did growing up on the weekends, that shared heritage. And that shared heritage is what we have as Black people, but because our identity has been erased, right, a few generations back, we can't say, okay, we got this shared uh, uh, identity as Cameroonians or as Nigerians or as 
Ghanaians, right? We have a shared identity as black people, again, which is not just the color, which is the culture. And that cultural piece is what allows us to flourish with traffic sales and profit and with our events. Mm. We can tie in all the cultural components. So when a black entrepreneur walks through that door, the number one thing I hear, John, all the time, you've heard it, is I'm home. Right. And before we can we can make it feel like that before I even hit the stage for the very first time. Between the music, between the branding, between the way we greet each other, right? And, and it's not like some stereotypical watered down BS of, you know, um, this is how we think black people are based on, you know, what we see on BET, right? Which is what we're often fed when we go to mainstream things and they try to cater to us because they're not really listening to the voices, but it's everything that makes us proud as a people, we can wrap into the packaging. And it's also knowing what are the challenges and obstacles that we face that we can then work alongside of, right? And work with the coaches and the programs and the content to help make sure we overcome those things. And it's also a safe space for them to know that, hey, you know what? I don't have to go here and prove um, things that I might have to go into another room and prove, right? It's like like all these um, preconceived notions and things they may have to deal with outside of this, they can just, you know, take that jacket off, right. leave it outside and just walk into the room, enjoy the experience, get what they need and focus on growing the business. Wow, that's deep, man. You know, and while you were talking through that, I, was, I just, especially when you did the analogy of the Italian person. Yeah. You know what we're missing? We're missing a nationality. Exactly. And so, yeah, so black is almost a nationality. Also, it is, yeah, quote, a race. But, you know, it's the culture. So that's it's exactly like, it. Yeah, the because Italians the, have a culture. Because the same way I said that with the now, you know, as, as we get like generation, generation, and it get like, you know, I can't speak for millennial and under, right? Like younger, younger people, like <laughs> it's starting to spread. But you take like generation X and above, you put them in a room. If we talk about how we how our grandparents worship, 90% of our grandparents worship the same. Yeah. You know, yeah. if if somebody's in a room and they're telling church jokes, whether you go to church or not, you laughing because you know <laughs> You know, you know, you know what the punchlines are, you know what the, what the next words that come out are. We talk about what Sunday dinner looked like at grandmama's house. We can name what the food was, whether we right. grew up in Georgia, New York City, right, LA, right? Like, again, it's that shared identity. And that's the part we can speak to. Mm, that's good. That's good. All right, let's get into business a little bit. All that's right. Good. So I'm starting up. I've got a business. I'm struggling a little bit. I'm not where I necessarily need to be or want to be. What is some just some good foundational things that you're fine that you often find are missing in a lot of small businesses? Um, great question, right? What I find most of the times is that most businesses literally just don't get their product or service in front of enough people. Hmm. And and most people have like a decent, at least a decent product or service. Um, and how I how I tell people, like, you know, if you're watching and listening how you can put yourself in this bucket or not is when I get in front of people and I tell them about my product or service, do they buy it? So I get people all the time say, Hey, whenever I talk to somebody, they buy the stuff. So the problem is just they don't talk to enough people. So what can they do to get more traffic, to get more lead generation, to get in front of more people. And it has to be um, intentional about doing it. Right. So if they're not getting their product or service in front of enough leads, if they want to do, you know, organic, uh, you know, posting on, you know, TikTok or Instagram or lives or, or going out to meetups or doing networking or whatever it is, they just got to make sure it's enough volume to get in front of enough people. If they're not doing that, then maybe need to do, you know, JVs or, or partnerships with people or maybe need to do paid advertising. But the problem I find is that people are not doing any of that. 
It's mm. like, you know, I don't want to do paid advertising, but I ain't doing all this organic stuff either. And I don't want to do this organic stuff, but I'm not reaching out to people I don't know and asking them, can we can we partner or can I come into their community? So it's getting intentional about making sure enough people see what you have to offer. And then on the flip side of that, there are people that have like a great community or they have access to communities of people, but making sure that they have an offer and an offer that's just not plain, but truly irresistible, right? Um, so when I talk about an irresistible offer, I'm talking about an offer um, where the offer itself speaks to the language of the person. You know, back when we were doing that, that marriage and relationship work, we had uh, stumbled into the fact that there were these nonprofits that the federal government was funding called Healthy Marriage Initiatives. And this is um, uh, 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 when George Bush was in office, the son. So he was in office. He said, hey, stronger families make a stronger country. So they were funding like millions of dollars into nonprofits all around the country, but they couldn't get people into their workshops. And when we, and they would bring me and Ronnie come in and we would look at it. The number one reason they couldn't get people in was the language that they used. Hmm. And they were saying, you know, hey, we'll show you how to have a healthy marriage. But I'll tell them, nobody is saying we get divorced because our marriage isn't healthy. They say we get divorced because we can't communicate. You know, we fussing and fighting. Um, I can't trust you, right? I don't know what you're doing with the money. And, and literally, I see too many entrepreneurs have offers that don't speak directly to the people they're talking to in a language that, that corresponds to the challenge that the person is facing. So they can instantly realize that, hey, you know what? That thing you have is for me. It's going to help me overcome this challenge. And now, you know, I'm willing to pay you and make um, some exchange of value for it. So like I said, getting in front of enough people, having something that speaks directly to that person and then creating it in a great offer that people feel like they need to take advantage of now. That's great. That's great. So how do I find the language that, you know, because like you, I think you were talking about on stage last week, you know, where you, you might be a lawyer and you use all this lawyer speak, but it's not resonating with the, how do right. you find these issues, these uh, problems and the way that people speak about them that, you know, uh, that for the audience you're looking to sell to? How do you find that? Yeah, great question. What I do is um, I tell everybody, send out a, uh, what I call a biggest challenge email. So just subject line, um, quick question, right? And then inside of that, it's just a real brief message that says, hey, like as it relates to blank, well, blank is whatever you do. So as it relates to, um, say, um, a, uh, a couple's counsel, as it relates to your relationship or your marriage, or, you know, if I'm uh, a dating coach, right? As it relates to dating, right? What's the biggest challenge that you're currently facing? So literally, again, quick question is a subject line in the body of the email just hey as it relates to blank what's the biggest challenge that you're facing and then after that the second sentence would just be you know i just want to make sure i'm i'm doing the best job i can of serving you um so if you can answer and just reply back and you know tell the person thanks but i send that out to customers and then we would get responses back and when they respond back not only do they tell you what the biggest challenge is they literally tell you an exact language of how they actually articulate it Mm -hmm. So then whenever we did emails, whenever we did sales copy, whenever we built landing pages and sales pages, we would just take those emails and use the exact language and words they use in the copy for the bullet points in the actual offer to make sure it resonated and it worked great every single time. Now, I know some people say, well, Lamar, you know, I don't have a community. I don't have, you know, uh, a bunch of people I can send that to. If you have a bunch of people to send it to, what I say, John, is who are your top customers? And sit down with those top customers and interview them and find out like what is it about you know you your your company your brand or whatever like that that makes them keep coming back. I had a woman that sold um, natural juices. I think she like pressed juices or something. 
And when I asked her this, she said, you know, I don't have a huge community customer list. She said, but I do have one customer why everyone else comes and buys like, you know, a six pack. She comes and buys multiple gallons and she drives from the south side of Atlanta all the way to the north side of Atlanta, which is a people don't do that for people. Listening. Right, right. <laughs> She's not from Atlanta. People don't do that. So but she said she drives from the south side of Atlanta to the north side of Atlanta, just come pick up multiple gallons. So I said, you know, that's the person we want to find out why is she passing a hundred other places she could get organic juice from to come get your juice and why is she buying it in gallons versus the regular quantity like everybody else and let's get as much information and detail about that person as we can and then start to build out our offers our language and everything based on that person who's the perfect customer mm, that's great that's the avatar you know that's why you got to get that deep in it all right now something you always talk about man um is uh you'll say you know the conversation is different when you're in a group of millionaires or in a different room, what's, what's the difference? What's the difference, man? What's the difference? Yeah, you know what? It, it's totally true. We, we got that uh, 2018. We had a speaker, Dr. Dennis Kimbrough and uh, uh, Kimbrough was on the stage and he said that we immediately got it because at the time we had been building a mastermind and we couldn't articulate it. But even in a mass, even in a Facebook group, we had a Facebook group for the mastermind, the public Facebook group. Like in the public Facebook group, it's like, hey, you know, I'm launching this. Take a look at my website. How can I do this? In the mastermind group, it's like, hey, I just had like $100,000 debt. It's like, hey, you know, I'm trying to do $400,000 for Black Friday. And, and nobody really saw, you know, it was a private group. So nobody really saw what those conversations were. But we were like, man, like, it's just so different in here. So when he said that, right, it literally was what we had been trying to say. And we realized at the same time, there are rooms that you put yourself into when literally the conversation is different. Now, fast forward to this year, right? Uh, January of 2022, we had another speaker, Tim Grover. Tim Grover was the mental toughness coach and physical trainer for Michael Jordan, um, Kobe Bryant, right? Dwayne Wade, like, like champions, just, just champions across the board. And I'm doing a, a pre-event call with Tim Grover and, and he's saying like, hey, you know, what are some of the things that you tell your people? So, I, you know, maybe I incorporate my speech and I say that thing, the conversation is different when you sit with winners. And he said, oh, that's what I say. It's so true. He said, if you have two rooms and you just stand in the back of the room and listen, and one room is a room of winners and one room is a room is not. He said, even the things they talk about inside the room is different. And I think that just goes again, why it's so important who we surround our, ourselves with, right? We've all heard the piece about, you know, you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with and you're closest to. You know, like, like what when I'm in great rooms, whether it's virtual and in person, the way people feed each other in those rooms is totally different. You know, the, the rooms where it's not a lot of um, success, it's also not a lot of knowledge being shared. Okay. It's like the little bit of knowledge people have, they hoard it, right? Mm. What I find is that the more successful the room I'm in is the more people are actually open to share, you know, more things and not even hide, even though you would think they would be the ones with the most to actually keep secret. Um, so it like, it literally is a difference. And, and what I've found since then is it's my goal to make sure I'm always putting myself in the right rooms. And if people don't like take away anything from this talk today it's finding those rooms, right? Like making your way to those rooms. Now, if I could tie in something else, I was listening to an interview years ago. Uh, with two good friends of mine, right? Paul Carrick Brunson and uh, Marshawn Evans Daniels. And Paul asked Marshawn, he's asked about mentorship and, you know, mentoring people. How do you find mentors? What Marshawn said, because I know somebody's already thinking it, is how do I find my way? How do I get into those rooms? Because you know, nobody picks me. Marshawn said, sometimes you got to buy a mentor. 
what I'm telling people listening is, is sometimes you got to buy access to a room. Absolutely. Because we can't always sit there and wait for somebody to pick me and then give me access to opportunities. I'm saying, I ain't never been picked for nothing. Like even now, mm. we've done a ton of press, we've gotten awards, but I still ain't been like, hey, Lamar, you know, won't you just come over here where all the knowledge, information, and wealth is? It's never been any of that. Like I always have to invest in myself to get myself in the right room so I can get the right information to meet the right people. Wow. So you still invest in yourself. Currently, yes. Yeah. And and the amount I invest now, this year be more than <laughs> any other year before, right? Like that amount goes up every year because I know it's a direct return on the amount I invest in myself and the amount of return I get from it for me and my company. Awesome. Awesome. All right, man. I appreciate you. I got my last question that I ask everybody. And so we're just going to put this out to you. But what question did I not ask you that I should have? Oh, you should have asked me, what's it like working with John Lawson? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't tell him. No, no. But no. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, this, this was uh, a great. I pulled, pulled out a couple of things that normally I'm not asked. Um, but, you know, I feel like you covered it. I say if it's something, um, I would say um, uh, maybe biggest misconception uh, new entrepreneurs have. Okay. Fantastic. I'll talk about that a little bit, right? And that kind of goes hand in hand with like, like you know, not have, get in front of people, you know, that type of thing. I'll say the, the, the biggest mistake I think they make is not thinking big enough. Hmm. And, and like I said, me, I didn't have really entrepreneurs in front of me. So I really didn't, I just know I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't really have that define what that was. I just wanted the like thing of being an entrepreneur. What I encourage everybody listening to do is for you not to say, hey, I'm just going to be an entrepreneur, but for you to say, hey, you know, I'm going to build a business that's this size, that has this many people that's doing, you know, that's releasing this many products, but putting some actual numbers around what the goal is. And then whatever you initially think of, you know, double, triple, quadruple, 10x that because we probably should be thinking bigger. Many times we're not um, pushing the thing bigger until we get into those rooms I talked about, those bigger circles. But in the meantime, until you get into those rooms, just drastically thinking on a larger scale will force you to think differently about yourself, about how you operate within the business and even what your next, you know, five to 10 moves should be. Awesome, man. I really appreciate your time doing this. No problem. You know, um, you know, uh, I I learned so much, believe it or not, after even knowing you for a couple of years now, you just are awesome. a fascinating, you know, uh, being. And I really appreciate the journey that you have taken on with, uh, you know, traffic sales and profit as a black organization. We appreciate you and you. much success, bro. Much success. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for tuning in to the Smartest Podcast. I hope you found that conversation helpful and inspiring. So be sure to subscribe and do not miss any future episodes. Until next time, enjoy your journey of success. Thanks for listening.